Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, Tom Stab here, not dark. Very important to make that distinction. It might be the last episode in our current series, but don't be blue, Peter! We've got some good news for you. As you know, our live show at the Prince Charles Cinema on the 24th of November is sold out. But don't worry, for those of you that can't make it, we're going to be recording the show and putting it out as a special two-parter on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. So whether you've had enough of talking with your family, stuffing your face full of Toblerone, why not sit down in front of the fire with a glass of Blue Nun and listen to our special two-parter live podcast, The Perfect Christmas Gift. And now, on with the show! Support for Monkey Tennis comes from East Anglia Book Pulping. If you've published something that hasn't sold and you need it mashed to a pulp, we're here to help. From pamphlets to novels and everything in between, there's no job too big or too small for East Anglia's premier pulping house. If the sales of your latest book make it seem to the untrained eye that you haven't bounced back, then give us a call. Our pulping machines are louder than ELO in concert, and every visitor gets a free carrier bag of pulp to take home. Monkey Tennis? Damn! Monkey Tennis? Monkey tennis? Go to London. I guarantee you'll either be mugged or not appreciated. Monkey tennis? Done! Monkey tennis? Uh, on the whole, a very good effort. Seven on ten. It's hotter than the sun. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? 
It's almost time for us to leave the static caravan of chat and move back into real life. Welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined as ever by Tom Dark. Looks like porridge. Nick Older. Bad slags. And Tom Stab. Buckaroo! So here we are, episode six, Alan Wide Shut. Let me just read off the back of the DVD so we know what it's all about. Alan appears on Prayer Wave, a religious discussion show on Talk Cambridge, has an invitation to Lynn's baptism, and has a pressing engagement at the recycling plant following some bad news regarding his book. <laughs> Uh, in the opening of this, Alan seems stoned. <laughs> yeah, he he's, he sounds a bit odd. Is there? A, do they give a reason that he seems a bit tired and off? Is Pat- he just bored of his own radio show? Or sad about his book being pulped, maybe? Mm. Mm. I think it's more a combination of tiredness, indifference, he's bored, and Mary, who he's talking to, is just I mean, Mary dull. does sound very boring. <laughs> uh, but bonus fact, Mary is voiced by Amelia Bormore. Uh, who's mm. Amelia Bormore? Sonia. 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 Uh, Nick, where have you been for the last five weeks? Have you watched any of this? No, we've established that. (laughs) Uh, Also, a weird one. I noticed he says, I wonder what that looks like, twice in the first minute and a half of this episode. Does he? Yeah, a bit of repetition. I've Mm. not seen it, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Does anyone want to speculate what people will look like in a billion years' time? (laughs) I think at the end of the day, what will happen is we'll be more or less the same. Yeah, I, I think go. I think Mary had it bang right. Yeah. But w- what you want when you've got a late night phone in is you don't want accurate answers, you want funny answers, don't you? Mm. Genuinely, do we think people will be alive in a billion years' time? I, I don't think we will be. That's a big question for this. It will just, be, it'll just yeah. be cockroaches and this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Living on. Uh, I do love what Alan says after the traffic report in this scene. A lorry filled with livestock has jackknife shedding its load over both lanes. Wonder what that looks like. Probably like something from Saving Private Ryan, but with animals. Uh, hey, it's a lovely scene there. I, I can tell you I was on a school trip to Barcelona Uh-oh. when I saw something uh, of that uh, magnitude. Was it, tra- <laughs> was it traumatising? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know I love animals. <laughs> oh, it wasn't good. Sad times. Uh, I think I don't know about you guys. I think this is probably one of the weakest openings of the series. It's not laden with humour as much as the other radio. Yeah, it doesn't well, start. Way he hangs up on Mary though, or or does she hang up on him? Even I but, think uh, he, he just says goodbye. <laughs> yeah, look at the back of a spoon in the bathroom. Goodbye, Mary. Traffic. Uh, <laughs> Post credits. His one liner this episode is Tom Sprockley. Where uh, now? I tried to look up who Tom Sprockley was. I don't know if anybody got any further than this. There's no record of a Tom Spockley anywhere online. Spotley uh, or Spockley? It's, it's, there's two, it's Tom Spotley when. Well. That's also what I have in oh, my notes. Oh, is it Spotley? Yeah, Tom yeah. Spotley when? Oh, I was thinking, yeah. I was in up Tom Spockley and all I could find was a fantasy football team that had been named after this episode. Oh, is he a f- Oh. So not- is it Tom, it's Tom Spotley? Sp- That's what I have. Okay. Okay. We're just, uh, we're doing live research. We're now. doing him on the yeah. Googles. The sound of typing. Tom Spotley, yeah. So the first, <laughs> the first line that, uh, the first Google result is Tom Spotley. Uh, with four question marks when, which I think is a reference to yeah, the it, talent line. It seems like this episode is the only reference, yeah. Weird. Um, Chris Martin on Twitter, Tom Spotley when. I don't think it's the Chris Martin. If no. you know who no, Tom Spotley is, why don't you tell us? Because we haven't got the time, inclination, or uh, can't be bothered to find <laughs> out, really. So, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> so, following the credits, uh, he takes a call from a man who fears he may be a gay, in Alan's words, a little bit more homophobia creeping in. Uh, and then he uh, tries to re- preserve the man's identity, but obviously names him as Domingo in Little Oakley, which is uh, <laughs> the population of Little Oakley's presumably sub-50. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, no Domingos, uh, just just the one. Uh, Dave Clifton seems really beaten to begin with. Uh, he's got no puns, seems prepared to be civil. Um, but then we get into uh, him chatting about the East End gangster biography, Bad Slags. <laughs> which, yeah, in typical fashion, Alan pretends he's not interested in, but deep down is absolutely desperate yeah. to read. 
Yeah. Uh, also, Wikipedia tells me this likely has a population of 1,171. Probably not more than one Domingo. In I yeah, that's unlikely. Uh, bad when, was it, when was it excavated between? Hello. Oh, okay. Uh, I think you do. Uh, <laughs> bad Slags has its own Facebook page. Uh, Does but it? <laughs> but it only has 17 likes. Any detail oh. on the page? Nope, nothing. Okay, fine. <laughs> Don't check that out. Not then. even, not even, not as much as a comment from Stan the Stabber. <laughs> uh, but actually, Dave is—he's—he's he's not prepared to be civil. He's holding back, waiting to slay Alan uh, by confronting him with the pulping of his book. Uh, he's so pleased with himself, Dave. How would Dave know that Alan's book's being pulped? I don't know. It's, Again, it's, it's probably a bit like the contract thing in the first series. We oh, just talked about it off air. Yeah. 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 Um, jumping back to bad slags quickly, uh, where Alan. Uh, suggests that they're essentially lending money at very uncompetitive rates of interest. Are bad slags effectively the modern-day Wonga? <laughs> I think Wonga's the modern-day bad slags. I think I think yeah. the slags came first. So are we just saying that Wonga are slags? <laughs> <laughs> We've not said We've that. Not Why said have that? you, Nick Alder, said that? Yeah. I've not said that, Wonga. Oh, Brighton. You? <laughs> <laughs> I've not said it. I do, I do like the bit in this scene as well when Clifton says, quite literally pulped. It's, ve- it's a very smashy and nice <laughs> He has got a brilliant voice for radio. Yeah, and he really lands on that last pulped like that. So we're back in the static caravan, uh, and Alan's singing along with Ian Jury and the Blockheads. I thought it was a nice touch that he points to Sonia on the word lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great spot. He's also got uh, another new polar neck, I think that's six or seven so far, and describes his ideal date night as Spartacus with corned beef hash, making sweet love to Sonia, and then he'll drive her home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She will not be staying the night. That's a bit of a theme of this episode, isn't it? Sonia sort of attempts to wheedle her way into the house. Yeah, It's uh, not wheedling, they're in a relationship. She should be allowed to stay over. That's entirely true. It's Alan's rule. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then Alan's like, actually, no, let's just bring this lovemaking forward. So uh, it must be his way on any uh, sexual whim. Uh, Sonia must yeah, comply. Yeah, he seems to be yeah. calling the shots on uh, the lovemaking schedule, doesn't he? And she yeah. seems completely, she loves it. And she seems completely happy to wait while he unscrews a jumbo She's bottle DCF. of Listerine. Yep. Yeah. A gen- generous swig of Listerine. Yep. She loves him as well, she said. Hello, Alan, I love you. Thanks she'll for do that. Any- she'll, do any- <laughs> she'll do anything for him, including yeah. bonk on demand. Yeah. Once again, Lynn interrupts them. Uh, the third, Lynn, the third time, I think, this series, perhaps. What, uh, what I thought was quite funny about this is, uh, Lynn's, on Lynn's arrival, the lovemaking is aborted. He doesn't try and get rid of Lynn. He's not like, actually, Lynn, we were a bit busy. Can you come back in half an hour? It's like, forget about I it. I think that's because Lynn's Sonia. performing an important task of essentially moving everything into the house. <laughs> so All Lynn the heavy is, lifting. Lynn, Lynn is now a removal man, single-handedly moving things into Alan's house, um, which, again, she's fine to do. Absolutely. Uh, we discover that Lynn is going to get baptised. She tries to sort of downplay the uh, the invite to her baptism a bit. Uh, Alan insults her immediately, implying that she needs four men to lift her. <laughs> <laughs> and also compares the baptism to a religious wet t-shirt competition. Uh, one of several references we- to wet yeah. t-shirt Wet t-shirts get a lot of uh, mentions. Would meet series. your commission that, do you think? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a very unfair comparison. But when, when she suggests that she needs him to towel her down, she is pointing to her boobs. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Um, she also hands over a copy of Bad Slags. <laughs> that he's asked for. Yeah. That he's asked for. Know your enemy. Uh, and uh, there's, it's mentioned that the only silver lining of his book pulping is that it can end up as a trestle table in a home for battered women. Yes. Uh, and suggests that Bad Slags would put a testy on a gear knob, which I couldn't really see how that would work. Seems like a lot of effort, doesn't it? Yeah. So following that, uh, Alan walks into his new house that Lynn has moved everything into single-handedly uh, and uh, chats to the builders. Uh, instantaneously points out that probably he should have put a skylight in there, which <laughs> is pretty much, you know, uh, something that the builders wouldn't want to hear when they've been slaving over his new house for presumably weeks. But, but also, is that a continuation of the gag that it's making it even more like the static home as well? 
Maybe. It's interesting, it's interesting that uh, the writers weren't sure that that joke really comes across, that the layout of the room in the house he's chosen to have as his lounge is exactly like the Static Caravan. Okay. Uh, which I, th- I thought that joke was pretty obvious immediately, and I thought it felt like it's a continuation of him being used to living in a hotel, to a static caravan, mm. to yeah, um, choosing the most confined space in the new hub. I've got to say, well. I never noticed, but yeah, it makes a lot of really? sense. Yeah, um, because the way the sofa is laid out, and then you've got the, all the shelving that makes it tight and everything. I just hadn't, I hadn't spotted it, but um, yeah. Oh, so the writers were right to be worried then. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Concerned for a reason. Um, also, it kind of implies if he's living in, if regardless if it's a static caravan or the house, he's living in basically the same, the same space. The house is more of a status thing for him, isn't it? It's almost like he's bought, he's got the house he can boast about it, not so he can enjoy the the space. And he's, he's not going to. You've he's, got to remember, he's people, people, the smallest people forget you can get lost in space. Yeah, <laughs> you really can. Yeah. Uh, I love that he uh, presumes that him and the builders are all going to keep in touch. He's got, got <laughs> yeah, no no idea of the social protocol for yeah. when the uh, building is done. Does he actually done. believe that though, or is he just being civil? I don't think he actually thinks. No, I think he, in I touch. think if John said to him, "Do you want to go for a pint?" Yeah. He would. Yeah. This yeah. is yeah. a man who tried to go for a pint with the man on the other end of the phone in Curry's previous. I don't think Alan has many friends at all. Yeah. yeah. He's got them a present. It's his book, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did wonder how many props of the bouncing book they made for the series, because it'd be great if some of those were still in existence. Well, I'd love are, to get hold of one. In this scene, there are 32 visible copies yeah. in the lounge. I think they're all stockpiled in Coogan's house. Uh, no, they got pulped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in this documentary that we're... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, enter Lynn with her wonderful shoe, shoe covers, covers which she like she instantly on. picks on which I feel is unfair given that ultimately she's going to make sure that his floor's clean yeah she's doing the right thing she's looking after his house yeah. unlike John the Builder who's sitting there smoking away yeah. <laughs> brand new house just have a rolly and Lynn told Michael off for smoking in the house but what yeah. she just lets John get away with it well I think Alan Maybe she has a crush is, on John well Alan's too scared to tell John and I think Lynn's going to go along with whatever Alan wants, but she hates Michael, so it's different. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, the builders' contributions to the conversation get rated and pre-approved, <laughs> or <Yeah>. approved in <laughs> retrospect, yeah. which is weird because before Lynn arrived, they were the only people there to talk to. So, yep, true. Yeah, the fact that it's fine to join in is uh, very strange. Uh, we've just been interrupted live in the studio by producer Jed. He has found that there is some kind of prop version of the Bouncing Bat book available on eBay or an eBay type website, uh, which is owned by somebody who was, was working on the sound crew by the looks of it. So instead of the books genuinely being pulped, it looks like all the cast and crew just took them home. And it looks like they also se- they sealed the cover over a an existing book, obviously. Yeah, I, I would assume that's what they would have done. I, although, imagine if they'd have made a real book. That would have been a commitment to proper, actually proper method acting, wouldn't it? Coogan writing a book as Partridge, yeah. and then uh, again, and Just then as a prop. and then and then putting it out. As well, I was always a bit surprised with I Partridge that they surely it would have been an easy win to just call that bouncing back. It wouldn't work, would it? Because they'd all been pulped. And also, it's an autobiography. Bouncing back parts. About his whole it life. It only have covered up to 2002, yeah. though, which might have been a bit of a shame. Well, yeah, I'm sure yeah, they considered it. be a stickler mm. for accuracy. Mm. The builder uh, then takes this opportunity to insult Alan's penis, saying that it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's more like an... Yeah, could, it, could he hide it with a cup? No, more like an egg cup. I think, yeah, they see it as an opportunity. The job's finished. Uh, this guy's clearly an idiot. Let's insult him a little bit. And yep. did you notice he knows Carl the Builder's name in this scene as well? <laughs> Just John he struggles with. Yeah. He learned it, learned it for the end. Oh, and Ditch, who I don't think is ever referred to by name. No. Uh, Alan counters by saying that his penis will actually be covered by two egg cups and a kidney dish. <laughs> Very accurate. Uh, Cut to the BP garage. 
Yep, he's uh, turning down a pickled onion because yeah. no, he I hates hate them. Him. Which is weird because in previous scenes at the BP garage, Michael has a very in-depth knowledge of what Alan does and doesn't like. Uh, so the pickled onion is uh, a curveball. I'd have also suspected that Alan would enjoy pickled onions. Yeah, but, same. Like, he's talking about pickle-illy and things like that. I would well, assume that... Doesn't he go with Pete for a ploughman's? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm surprised. Do you think Alan and Michael get on because... In Alan literally can't cause offence. There's nothing he could say that Michael would, would I think say. That's probably that, why their relationship works. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Michael would be offended by anything. I think I think that's why there's no tact in sentences like "No, I hate them" when he's offered a pickled onion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a, not a no thanks, <laughs> but very kind offer. Alan suggests a, a barbecue, and Michael says, "Oh no, you're not allowed naked flames on the forecourt." <laughs> but he has but, to kind of yeah. draw on that information <laughs> exactly. from the deepest parts he's, of his memory. Like, yeah. It's not just there to recall. <laughs> he's it's like, yeah. he's no. like, I've been told something <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember. Don't what. hit the customers. Yeah. No naked <laughs> yeah. flames. He's recounting it like it's a vocab test or something. Yeah. Alan yeah. says it's political correctness gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking about his book after that. Uh, and it's, I thought it was interesting that Alan says he's had the last laugh 25 times. But then apparently only 14, 14 of those times are mentioned in the book. Yeah, it's very modest Why of him they to, not c- to cut the out the 11. Uh, at which point we hear a... Ding. Yep. Uh, the microwave has cooked up his toad in the hole. Toad in the hole from a BP oh. service station. And this was, again, before the days of the Wild Bean Cafe, <laughs> when standards were increased dramatically in the area of the Wild Bean Cafe. Dram- yeah. Mm. Really? Yeah. If you've taken the time to eat in a Wild Bean Cafe, as nope. I have, you'll know. <laughs> Hi, Wild Bean Cafe. Get in touch. Sponsor <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> so, Michael, so Michael's made hot floppy bread, hasn't he? Yeah, that that, that <laughs> genuinely taste, sounds awful. Yeah, taste in the microwave. Which is a, a great precursor to the tale of Michael's full sex with a woman. Oh god, this. Bitch Where is. do we start? Uh, let's. Shall I? Shall I just bullet point the facts we know about the woman? Yes, she's sixty. Yep. They uh, they slept together in Cardiff. Yep. She, he describes her as a lady friend. She looks like Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, there's some supplementary uh, description. She'd had a bit to drink. Yeah, she, she's freshers. an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He describes her as having a big nose and mad hair. <laughs> uh, and, it's and, a, and she was all over him <laughs> it's the same age difference as Alan and Sonia as well so Sonia's 33 oh. do we can we remember how old uh, Alan's yeah, they refer- meant to be they, they reference that the yeah. age difference in the episode yeah I missed that so so Alan and Sonia they're about what 20 about 25 years different no it's no, less than 14 that. 14 okay sorry yeah 14 yeah uh, but Alan says that it's fine to go younger but it's not fine to go older yeah. It's the wrong way to so use that, his words. So do, that, do we by that rationale, that means you can work out that Michael is 46? I'm just, I'm, tri- right. I'm yeah, approaching yeah, this like yeah, a maths yeah, problem, yeah, yeah. basically. But I think, the, I think the point is not how old is Michael, it's more the fact that Alan suggests that older women are something to be appalled by. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to actually recount how Michael tells Alan they met. So he said they met outside threshers. She was loading all this booze into her car, and she says, Ooh, Just I've, doing the weekly shop. Oh, I've had a bit to drink. <laughs> Would you like to drive us home to Cardiff? Can... Where's she, where she been? Right, so well, she's travelled to... So we're assuming they're in Norwich. Yep. Can somebody check, what is the driving distance from Norwich to Cardiff? Oh, That's a long is, journey, is, isn't is it? Is that right now? Also, this is a bit of a stretch, but... Did she have to go that far to buy booze because she's banned <laughs> from all the all the nearer branches of freshers? Keep talking amongst yourselves. Uh, no, we'll just wait for you. 
They start talking about their SAS. Uh, <laughs> it's like an SAS Your mission. mission. Gandun Cardiff. A full sex with a woman. Uh, the distance from Norwich to Cardiff is 273 miles and will take approximately four hours and 24 minutes. And on a National Express coach, you've got to add, what, at least an hour or two yeah. to that. Adam's our resident coach expert. How, <laughs> how, long, how long would you give I, I wouldn't go that far to see Bob Dylan in concert, let alone have full sex with a woman that looks like Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always a chance that the Megabus will catch on fire as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, allegedly. Uh, so no, that happened. No, no, that happened. The yeah. Megabus will set on fire. They're then talking about their... S- it's like an SAS mission, like Bravo 60... Yeah, Bravo 2-0. Bravo 2-0. Randy McNobb. Or oh, no. Randy, no, Randy McNobb. Because they change it to Bravo 6-0, but that's not a sexual thing, is it? Uh, are, they, are they trying to get to 6-9? No, it's 6-9? the age. 6-0. Ah. Again, that's the joke. Yeah, I missed <laughs> so that one. So many jokes we didn't get. I missed that one. Well, Nick, to be fair, you haven't watched it. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. And then Michael obviously tops it off with Randy McNobb. Yeah. <laughs> So at this point, uh, Michael inquires as to how uh, Alan and Sonia are getting on. Mm. Although I think it's worth, obviously, not mentioning, but Sonia comes in with a hot dessert. Now, yeah. there's a mi- <laughs> there's a microwave in the BP garage. <laughs> surely, that from? Well, yeah, and surely it'd be cold. And the hassle of driving from wherever Alan lives to a BP garage with whatever his um, pudding is, it's something with custard, isn't it? <laughs> Rhubarb crumbling, rhubarb crumbling custard. Like it's Alan, just... she arrives, Alan says, "Ah, oh, the dinner lady." <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, she's yeah, been kicked weird. out of her house as well, hasn't she? It's going to be office. It's going to be office block. Yeah. And at this point, you would assume that Alan's going to jump in, save Sonia, give her somewhere to live, which to some degree he does. But this is a when his hand has been forced, and b it's not to live with him. Yeah. And also, uh, it's not his residence that no. he's offering. No. It's basically sleeping in the caravan in the garden while I sleep in my brand new house. No, no. It's Lynn's mum's bedroom, isn't it? That's what? the initial offer, isn't it? Yeah. yeah initial... Lynn's dad's mum's bed. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I remember. Yeah. So when he said you can do this, yeah, you can't do this. So where do we go from? I think that was fine. Yeah, it's fine. You're just making fun of me again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like it. Like Always it. the same. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, Sonia, under- perhaps understandably, doesn't want to sleep in Lynn's dead mum's bed. Uh, then, uh, Would you it, sleep in Lynn's dead mum? Oh, well, bed? well, are they implying did Lynn's mother die in her bed? Is that I, why she doesn't uh, see it? No, I don't I think, think that's think, uh, the, I think the purpose of that line is so they can then follow it up with, well, Michael did something very similar last night yeah. and he's very happy about it. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's good writing. It's basically to get that gag in, yeah. Uh, I think we're uh, over at Prayer Wave now on Talk Cambridge 106.2 FM. Oh, yeah. Cameo packed. With Tessa McPherson, who is, of course, Rebecca Front, one of my favourite comedy actresses, and basically she's a great. watchword for whether something's going to be good or not. Yep. Correct. Mm. She's in it. It's good. End of. Uh, yeah, well... Just for those that don't know, you're, you're looking at the Armando Iannucci, Chris Morris kind of school of comedies here. So you've got things like Day to Day, then also going into Coogan's Run, Know Me Knowing You, Big Train, which is a personal favourite. Uh, she also does have a part in Nighty Night and she was in Humans as well. Yes, she oh, was. yes. She was great in all of those. Yep. Basically, uh, she's brilliant. Oh, and obviously uh, the thick of it. Too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Nighty Night, Julia Davis plays yep. Kate Fitzgerald, her radio guest, uh, another titan of comedy. And again, she's done all the kind of brass eye jam things, big train as well, and the parole officer, Steve King and Phil. And yeah. uh, Felicity Montague joi- rejoined her in Nighty Night. She had a, a role yes. in that, as well as Rebecca Front. But what I did note down here, Julia Davis starred it, well, had a role in Steve Coogan, The Inside Story. Has anybody seen that? No. So it was a spoof documentary yes, on BBC it. Two back in, I think, December 2009. I vaguely remember watching it. 
I have no idea if it's any good, but I, uh, Reeves and Mortimer featured in it. Yeah, I remember well. seeing it. It, it. it was very funny. So there is a trailer to it on YouTube that maybe will pop up on the socials just to see if anybody else remembers it. In good some stuff. ways, it's kind, it's perhaps a kind of a loose relation of the trip. Uh, an early relation to the trip in that it's you know kind of it's caricaturing ah, some of right, okay. people's perceptions of Steve. But I Coogan. think it's a lot more spooth than that. Just rewatching the trailer, oh, no, the reason Mortimer bits are ridiculous. It's a loose relation. <laughs> yeah, um, very loose. So uh, yes, Kate Fitzgerald, uh, played by Julia Davis, uh, is on to talk about the book Someone Else that she wrote. Uh, there is a book that exists called called Someone Else, but it's by Tanino Besakista and uh, is currently ranked in books on Amazon. One million two hundred and forty-two thousand three hundred and eleven. So quite high then. Yes, yeah. it's her tale of uh, childhood. To, this is the fake book, not the real book. Childhood <laughs> to prostitution to drug addiction to recovery. Sounds like the same book, pretty much. Needles to say it was quite good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and Alan's on there talking about bouncing back to prove that he have had is and are <laughs> bounced, bouncing back. I like I like the way she introduces him. Alan for a while had a TV chat show and was quite a big name up there and then it all went very wrong. <laughs> Not a bit wrong, very wrong. And he pulls a face at that as well. Yeah. He's like, nope, don't think so. Uh, I think Tessa McPherson is looking for conflict a little bit though. She's a, mm. she's a little yeah. bit cursy walk on Desert Island Discs in this uh, exchange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Alan soon starts presenting until he realises it's not his show. I think part of the, um, uh, or one of the reasons that this kind of thing falls down quite quickly is because you've got two people talking about books that are ultimately kind of fighting for attention to talk about their own respective books. Mm. I'm not sure the dynamics work. Yeah. And I one is a clear winner because yeah. her book has some real gravity. It's almost like they're yeah. trying to outgrief each other or something. It yeah. really... It's quite similar in tone to the uh, Chris Morris scene from uh, series one in the radio studio with Peter Baxendale Thomas. As, yes. You know, yeah. two, two mm. uh, sort of clashes or two people coming together and clashing quite obviously very opposite ends of the scale in terms mm. of... It's the know, same, but... Uh, the fact that Alan is once again completely outwitted by the other person. Oh, I think at some points he's quite witty in this. He well, does call her Tara yeah. Peter Frampton double barrel shotgun Kensington <laughs> on the horse. <laughs> I was going to say, well, yeah, but she she's able to outwit him in an intellectual way. He's oh, just definitely. able to insult yeah. oh, of her. And yeah. Eventually she does come down to his level and beats him, I think, when he's saying, you know, oh, you know, you put drugs at your bum, why use your bum? You have a perfectly good mouth. And she said, yeah, some people can confuse the two. It's easy yeah, that's to walk good. out of your ass. But, but she sh- is the one who... Uh, says forget it and, and storms out so ultimately does Alan win so Alan wins yeah, yeah, I think yeah but so. Peter Baxendale yeah. Thomas storms out yeah. so Alan wins that one as well mm, that's, not a, that's not a victory yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you notice the, the presenter she doesn't really seem that bothered that one of her guests has, has got up and stormed out either they just continue the show and she carries on talking to yeah. Alan yeah, and at the end she's just like oh a bit more exciting than yeah. normal yeah. I like when uh, when she's talking about the various drugs she's done she starts talking about ketamine and he just goes shit <laughs> <laughs> And then later asks her if she's ever shaved a crackling. Particularly <laughs> also, given, given this is Christian radio, I don't think they'd be tackling these kind of subjects. No? No, so. why not? Why not? Stories of redemption or something, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think perhaps... Not it, shoving crack up your bum. And yeah. bouncing back. <laughs> perhaps if yeah, both, but Al- Alan's made them go into that detail. Yeah, I don't think that's where the, the radio... Maybe if both books were about being saved by the Lord, that would make a little bit more sense. And so. Jesus bounced back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. In every sense. Yeah. But remember, according to Lynn, Jesus wasn't brown. No. Let's not do that now. Let's open that can of worms. Um, so he details his breakdown a little bit more here, doesn't he? He talks about driving to Dundee in his bare feet, uh, about all of the Toblerone, uh, treating his Toblerone addiction as seriously as Kate yeah, Alan is heroin. Alan's not happy um, that chocolate addiction isn't given the same level of uh, <laughs> gravitas as drug addiction. Right or wrong, I'm not sure, but Alan is not happy. Um, in the in iPartridge, Alan actually goes into detail about his 
the length and depth of his uh, Toblerone addiction, he ends up spending £54,000 on Toblerone. <laughs> That's a lot of chocolate. Yeah. That's, I'm going to work it out based on about, let's say, an average of £3 for a large Toblerone. I think that's a fair, a yeah. fair price. So that's... Uh, I'm, oh, let's, yeah, let's do it on a calculator. <laughs> 54, 1, 2, 3, divided by... What did we say? Three. Three. So he bought approximately 18,000 Toblerones. <laughs> that is a lot. That's a lot. No wonder he packed on the pounds. You can, you can get giant Toblerone bars, which are four and a half kilograms in weight, and they retail for 75 pounds. But bear in mind, at some point, he says, in this actual scene, he says he doesn't eat a small one. I mean a medium-sized one. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, at his absolute peak of his chubbiness, uh, Alan balloons to 16 and a half stone. Also, Toblerone, up. that's just... Chocolate that you used to get on ferries. Uh, no, when when else would you buy Toblerone? Uh, would, would you no, like some Toblerone, Toblerone facts at this point? Go oh, on. I'd bloody love some. So, well, I think we're continuing uh, Nick's discussion about where do you buy it from. Twenty five percent of all Toblerone bars are sold in duty free shops. I'm not surprised, which is say, not yeah. a surprise at all. Uh, Toblerone is a mix of almonds, nougat, honey, and chocolate, and it's invented by a man called Theodore Tobler in 1908. It's the last chocolate bar still produced in Switzerland. All other Swiss chocolate is made in developing countries. (laughs) (laughs) But still called Swiss chocolate. Uh, Also, my favourite thing about this, uh, and I don't know if anyone else is aware of this, has anyone else uh, ever been told about the fact there is a bear visible in the mountain logo of Toblerone? Yes, that rings a bell. Yes, so if you have a look, you can see there is like the silhouette of the bear on one half of the mountain, uh, which is inspired by the Matterhorn, um, which is also inspired why the bar is triangular in shape. There you go. There we go. Toblerone mm. facts, pal. I'm not sure it's in the episode, but there's a point at some uh, in some Alan text that I've read that at the height of his addiction, he uh, actually put a regular-sized Toblerone sideways in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in that not mentioned in the book or anything? I don't know. I'm not uh, sure. I can't know. I don't think so. If no. we get a chance, we will attempt to do that and put some pictures on the socials. Let's see how we get on. <laughs> so messy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Adam, you can go first on that one. <laughs> okay. I didn't have to eat any mustard, so it's only fair. Yeah, that's still repeating on me weeks after. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Um, so there's a there's a flashback of his Toblerone binge as well, isn't there? Run, run, et run, run. What is what yeah. isn't mentioned in the TV series, but is referred to in the book, is that um, on the way back when he's um, he drives back down to to Norwich, he mentions that there's a plastic uh, hose in the exhaust pipe, which was for a suicide bid. He doesn't actually mention that in the TV series, but he was planning to kill himself. A bit too dark for the TV series. Maybe. Yeah, but absolutely fine for the book. That's more than clinically fed up, isn't it? It is. Boo-hoo. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are two flashbacks to the Toblerone slash Dundee breakdown in this, uh, in this. Why do his shoes come Sorry. off? Well, he didn't, they didn't come off. They didn't come he, off. He drove he, their bare yeah. foot. Oh yeah. yeah, I've got a fun, uh, can, fun I, can I repeat question? that question? Why did he drive in his bare feet? He was just he's having a breakdown. Having a breakdown. Yeah. He had Toblerone in the footwell and everything. He was briefly mindless. Yeah, he was. Uh, quick question for everybody: Driving while barefoot, legal or illegal? What do you think? Ooh, good question. I think it's legal. Yeah, illegal. Do we know? I, I can't know. see why it would be illegal. I don't. I don't think that you could. Producer Jed, legal or legal or illegal? He thinks it's legal. You're correct. It is legal. Me. Technically, basically, oh. as long as you are responsible and you have control of the vehicle you're in, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Also, I don't think Alan would break the law, even so, in the grips of a breakdown. <laughs> I wonder how you define that. So could you drive in flip-flops? Yeah, flip-flop. Any footwear, barefoot, it's all fine, as long as you're... you're flip-flops. Uh, if anyone's well, driven would, in flip-flops, it's I'd very like difficult. Yeah, it's walking a tightrope. Christmas card list. <laughs> I'd like to think it is illegal to wear, uh, to wear Crocs while I was driving, or just to wear Crocs full stop. In general. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ban them. 
so there's a few descriptions of uh, the way that his book is going to be destroyed. People keep getting it wrong. Sonia says destroyed. Lynn says incinerated. <laughs> Alan correct. <laughs> no, pulped. As if pulped is a more sort of humane, yeah. friendly. Uh, did anyone catch how many copies of the book are being pulped? Yes. How many? 14,000. So is that the minimum print run, do we think? Well, we have established he's probably sold about nine copies, didn't we? Yeah. So, I, yeah, probably. I would imagine he had 15,000 made, he sold about 20, and the rest are in his house slash garage. Yeah. That'd and remember, guess. we figured out that he's possibly only sold six copies. Oh, is it six? At least yeah. at the point of the first episode of this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Just to go back a little bit, I think we missed something which is worth a bit of discussion. Uh, when Alan is discussing with the host of Prayer Wave the sort of things he discusses on his show... Uh, one of the things he lists, well, he lists, we discuss issues, Europe, conspiracy theories, what happens if you just eat crisps? Ah. Would anybody like to know what happens if you just eat crisps? Uh, is the answer type 2 diabetes? <laughs> I think that might be one <laughs> yeah, of the results. Okay. I've uh, done some research on this as well. Yeah, well Are you uh, going to refer to the same Guardian well, I found, article? I found two articles uh, based around just eating crisps. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag of results. No Assorted pack. Um, <laughs> so I found an article on The Guardian and one on The Telegraph. Now, the woman in The Guardian... Uh, her story is, I have tea, a cup of tea for breakfast, skip lunch, ready for my first large bag of crisps at around 4pm, second bag at 8pm. During the day, I'll have a few cups of tea and sometimes a cola. I don't get ravenous because my body's used to it after all these years. The only time I'll eat anything else is a family meal at a restaurant, then I'll pick up a piece of dry chicken and a morsel of bread just to stop people nagging at me. Who is this lunatic? Uh, I haven't written down her name. Uh, and when her son was five, right, so her story about how this happened. When her son was five, she brought a packet of barbecue flavoured crisps, and that was it. I was in love. I didn't eat anything else for the next eight years until the day I decided to go wild and try a monster munch. <laughs> Once you pop. <laughs> they had been a childhood treat, and they became my crisp of choice. I mean, I can approve that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and she continues, I don't get ill more often than anyone else, although my nails are weak and my gums bleed when I brush my teeth. <laughs> wow. So th- those are some results. To, to be fair, she is brushing them with frazzles. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on a slightly less fun uh, results from the Telegraph. Because that was article, the fun-filled yeah, one. Because well, bleeding gums are laugh a minute. <laughs> well, this gets worse. Uh, the Telegraph article that re- uh, refers to this. A uh, 22-year-old uh, spent three years uh, eating only crisps. She was eating up to 15 bags a day and ended up in hospital at 14 stone with severe abdominal pains and jaundice. She developed gallstones up to an inch and a half in diameter, which formed from the excessive amounts of cholesterol in her body. So wasn't she's on 15 bags a day. The other woman from The Guardian was only on two a day. So if you are going to only eat crisps, I would say reduce the amount of bags per day. Uh, and we just say shout out to Kroll1981 on Twitter who came in and asked us what happens if you just eat crisps and there's your answer. Now you, there know. you, now you know. Step away so from the bag. I would say don't do it. Uh, we find out shortly after this that there's some good news for Sonia. She's getting the static home, but she's not to come to the house uninvited and she is expected to pay rent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought when Alan says we can come to some sort of arrangement... He means a sex-based arrangement, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I thought so, but then she says, oh, so I don't have to pay rent. And he's like, no, we can come to some sort of arrangement. So <laughs> he is, he's also expecting I think, money. I yeah, think. the arrangement is you pay me rent and sex on demand. <laughs> and you need to understand his complicated uh, code system, which uses various condiments from the kitchen. Or put a naan bread in the window. Ketchup. Ketchup. No, there's also naan bread. We're at Lynn's baptism. Uh, there are 25 to 30 people there, I counted. Which is, I'd say a pretty good turnout, to yep. be fair. Well, it's more people than turned up to a, a, an evening with an afternoon of partridge at the travel time. So it's what. Um, also, he opens his speech by saying, you probably don't know me, which I thought was funny. So he's never met any of Lynn's yeah. friends or family. Uh, Peggy Benfield is uh, Lynn's mum. Also, <laughs> why, is Ma- why is Michael there? 
And he's quite dressed up. He's filming. He's got a snazzy yeah, bow tie. I know on. he's filming, but why is he there? The videographer. But Lynn hates him. He's the videographer. But Lynn hates him. Go on, Lynn, lass. That's what he shouts. <laughs> yeah. <inside. laughs> Getting up, cool. Uh, Alan's speech unravels about two minutes in. It oh, really is. It's oh, awful. It's terrible. I thought this would be the sort and, of thing he could handle. And he kind of turns it around to be about him. Yeah. It's nothing I think it, to do with Lynn. It's just about him. I think yeah. it's a good bit of writing because it very subtly yeah. unravels. Yeah. It doesn't just like all of a sudden unravel. Yeah. It's very subtle and brilliant. Through is, was, tis, was, miming suicide, <laughs> shit-chatting, etc. Uh, he's back in his uh, snakes and ladders tie in this uh, in this. Ooh. Ooh, good spot. Uh, Cameo-wise, Rob Brydon's coming in now as a, uh, a genuine fan. Perhaps not of the Jed Maxwell level of of insane. No, no, a bit bit milder. Uh, I was just going to say, Rob Brydon obviously has gone on to some pretty huge things. Cameo-wise, who do you think across the two series of Iron Man and Partridge is is the biggest deal? I guess Simon Pegg, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely Pegg. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, Although it's, it's taken Pegg to get... It's taken a long time for Peg to get to that point. I, I think, you know, you, you would have had a good few years after this series where he still wasn't like a massive Hollywood name or anything. Yeah, true. I guess it was kind of hot fuzz, wasn't it? And Shaun of the Dead that crossed him over. And that was like 2004. So I'm also, I'm not convinced that Rob Brydon does a great job in this role. Uh, it's a bit, he's, he's very exaggerated, more so than Sonia or Pete or any of those people. I think his, his get up is quite ridiculous. Yeah, for such a small character with very little detail about kind of who he is, why he's there, or why he's dressed like that, it's it's quite an extreme kind of character to to throw in. Yeah, is, it, is he fully mulleted as well? Definitely. <laughs> so yeah, he just he seems a bit sort of a bit larger than life, and in a in a caricatured way. I'm not, yeah, I'm he not doesn't. Totally he, sold that 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 could have been a fairly functional character that gives Alan the you know the reason to obviously react in the way that he does, but you don't need the Rob Brydon character to be so extreme and over the top but as we've spoken there are quite a lot of that's kind of a yeah. running theme throughout this true. series true yeah. uh, Sonia's a let loose at this point and Alan's very concerned about that but at least she admits that he's well hung yeah. <laughs> which he reacts he's like Ooh, yeah he's really he's kind of annoyed by that <laughs> yeah. uh, Michael's lady Neris uh Calls Alan's phone. Yeah, he, know, he knows her name now. Yeah, <laughs> I presume that means Michael has no phone. That sounds plausible. <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, fair. yeah. And all his friends. Well, are actually, actually that does, Ma- does Michael know her name? Because he says, "Oh hi, oh Neris, I." <laughs> so is it actually? Oh, it's me. My name's. No- I, d- I don't know. Like maybe he doesn't know. I think he probably just forgot. And then when she says that, he's like, "Ah, yeah, that's it." It's no, but he says, "I know your name now." What? So she says, "It's Neris." Remember, we slept together the other night when I was boozed yeah, you drove like, me to oh, Cardiff I know your name now that's yeah. nice yeah, yeah, yeah. oh there we go yeah. clear that up yeah. Yeah. and the, the writers did choose Neris so it's it's obviously a Welsh name as well so it ties into that just in case people Neris. don't get it there you go uh, I just remembered where, <laughs> where that sideways Toblerone in Alan's mouth tidbit came from it's on Anglian Lives uh, he admits that he got one stuck sideways and that someone had to come and break its back with a toothbrush <laughs> <laughs> detail yeah, uh, that coincides obviously with him having flashbacks again. I think he has six Toblerones in the car. I counted. Well, I, I have a question about this flashback. Uh, if you go and watch it again, he's sat in the back seat of the car. Is he? Yeah, he's he not is. in the front seat. He he's in the back ah, seat. So, obviously, but obviously, he's parked up, hasn't he? So maybe he's just moved into the back for more for more room, <laughs> chocolate eating room, more chocolate Toblerone indulgence. <laughs> but I, I, I haven't gone back and checked the other flashback scenes if they're all in the back seat or whether he moves from the back to the front. I, I think know. he moves from the front to the back. Yeah, because there's a shot where it he's goes the... down and it shows that he's in bare feet and his feet are clearly uh, yeah, on the yeah. uh, accelerator. Uh, also, I have a note here that his fat face makeup is a bit rubbish. Mm. Mm. I don't think it's too bad. Mm. Mm. Uh, is it 16 and a half stone worth? 
We'll never know. Mm. Yeah. Around this point, I think uh, Rob Bryden starts getting in a couple of, uh, you know, not digs exactly, but constructive criticism about Alan's uh, Alan's book and Alan. In it general. doesn't go down well, though, does it? He's at a low, isn't he, Alan? Here, yeah. He gets, he yeah. Gets he's juggling three it's, fuck-offs from Alan. It's quite rare that uh, Partridge or the writing results to a swear word for a cheap laugh, but in this case, it really it does works. work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three times. Three times, and they're all funny. I've also got to note that Rob Bryden is not a convincing scared man. His scared face, I just, I don't believe it. Not for a second. Yeah, well, I think it goes back to the point that I think that character is is unnecessarily uh, exaggerated. And I like Rob Bryden, but mm. I'm not sure this is his best work. And then I think we have uh, the maybe the one time in this series, or certainly in this episode, where Alan gets a big win with his, yes, with, his uh, with his Blue Peter anecdote. Yeah, and it's nice to see Alan getting a little win before his book gets popped. Yes, yeah. <laughs> before he's brought back down again. Don't you think though that the angry, the aggressive way he tells the anecdote actually sucks all the fun out of it? No, so, I like uh, it. Well, the the, the, writer, the, the writers, oh, right, um, the mean. writers feel that it's a, it was actually a bit too aggressive, and they feel like it makes Alan a bit too nasty. The way that they actually performed that scene in the end. Mm. But I, I think it works because he's just at, he snapped. He's at he? his wit's end, and he's yeah. lost it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it is quite funny. And I don't get why he just goes, uh, Buckaroo! <laughs> is that just well, another one of those throwaway... Yeah. throwaway Jack and yeah. type things. Well, actually, yeah, there's, uh, I've had another communique from friend of the show, Lee Debbage, overnight. Oh. Lee Cabbage? Every <laughs> bloody week, Lee Cabbage gets a mention. <laughs> to remind, just because you were talking uh, in a previous episode about things like Jack and Akinori and Spice World and, and how they seem a bit arbitrary, uh, every take that Coogan did when we watched this filmed, uh, those exclamations were different each time. So the, oh. ones, the ones that made it into the series just happened to be the takes that they used, but there were all kinds of so other So I don't suppose well. you or Lee could remember what some of the other takes were? Afraid not, it was about 14 years well, ago. So I, wonder, I wonder maybe with the other ones that got used, it was just they had that rotating list of kind of maybe 10 or mm. 12 references and it's just whatever made the cut. Yeah, quite possibly. Although I imagine you probably had to do a different one each time because you wouldn't have known wouldn't which know, yeah. cut was going to yeah. be used. So um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, anything more on the baptism scene? I think okay. that pretty much draws it to a close. Oh, uh, just one one small observation. There is a visible space hopper in this scene, and he references a space hopper and, and when he's talking about the 70s in his speech as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're then on to, I think, the final scene of the series. Very poignant moment. Mm, uh, very moving. Very, very moving. Yeah. Uh, although I would say also, given how strong parts of this series are, a bit anticlimactic. Yeah, I'd agree with that It's as a well. bit of a weird, weird way to end the entire series. Yeah, yeah, you'd think maybe they would end it on the Alan coming out on top in the arguably coming out on top with his um, Blue Peter story. Yeah, so uh, just obviously everybody knows the scene already, but Alan is uh, down at the pulping plant watching uh, his book get pulped. Tony the pulper, uh, who accompanies him, <laughs> uh, is a real pulper who plays himself. Oh, Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Well done, Tony. Uh, my question to the group, would you go to the pulping of your own book? Mm, is it closure for him? Does he feel like he needs to be there? I mean, that's the only reason you'd go, surely, is yeah. to sort of draw yeah. a definitive line under your He's sadness. quite proud as well, isn't he? There's my book, look! Yeah. <laughs> Being pulped. <laughs> quite literally. Alan, also, for Alan, he probably doesn't have anything better to do with his time Good either, point, so yeah. True. why not? And it, it is a bit of a through line through all of the Alan Partridge uh, output, really, is that he is to some extent immune to his own failures, isn't he? You know, like, things yeah. like this happen to him all the time, but he kind of, he, he's quite neutral about yeah. it. Do you think he asked Tony for a pint afterwards? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think Tony probably went. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. yeah, anyone else would feel far too embarrassed to go to the pulping of their own book, whereas for Alan, it's it's a great day out. Yeah. <laughs> So 
so we're coming to the end of this episode and the end of the current series. I'm going to pass over to my esteemed colleague, Tom Stab for a little bit of IMDb information. Hello. Uh, so this episode gets an 8.6 out of 10 rating on IMDb. Uh, so overall, the average rating of this series is 8.58 on IMDb. That's compared to Series 1, which is 8.65. So Series 1 rated slightly higher in terms of IMDb ratings. Mm, the highest uh, rated episode in this series was a 9 out of 10, and that was the Tex episode. So uh, Never say Alan uh, again. Never say Alan again. The highest in Series 1 was also a 9, and that's To Kill a Mocking Alan, the Jed Maxwell episode. So those are considered the two right. best across the two uh, series. So I guess my question to everyone is, you know, how does... Everyone, how does that rating compare with how you think about the two series mm. together? Which one's better? Do you think that's a fair uh, summation of the series in terms of ratings? Yeah, it's. I've been thinking about this. It's quite tough to decide what's better, series one or series two. I, for me, I think series one feels a bit more classic because there are just a few points kind of jump the shark sort of points in series two where it's a bit too slapstick for my liking from my point of view i think i was looking in preparation for doing this podcast as a whole going back and watching episode two i was thinking i was going to enjoy that more but actually i think i ended up enjoying series one a bit more i just Mm. think it was actually generally just a little bit better i think those ratings are pretty accurate to be honest Mm. i think that's fair yeah they're they're both they're both saying they're both very good yeah one slightly edges it over the other i think series one is is a near perfect sitcom i think series two falls down in some areas but it's because they're trying trying to do something more i think it's mm. it's beyond like you know your sort of traditional yeah, which I, I, I think um armando and peter bainham and and the team i think they acknowledge that they were trying to make it a little bit different in the field series one i've got a few quotes from armando nietzsche because he once uh, described the second series as terrible um, <laughs> really yeah but when challenged on that it, uh, it, a few years afterwards he said calling it terrible may have been an overreaction but it's just that we felt we got the first series so right there was a mm. lot of expectation for the second the process of making it was much tougher in retrospect maybe we thought about it a little too hard and it's mm. that difficult second album isn't it yeah and it's it's kind of telling as well the fact there is so much around them writing scenes right up to the last minute of of filming so that that just tells you enough that they weren't really quite ready for it when they had to go and make it i i I remember hearing them say that they they really agonized over every word as well there's little things Mm. like like alan prefers the word giant to the word big and little you know details like that evident throughout nick uh if putting you on the spot what would you prefer out of series one or series two i think i'd agree with everything that you've said so far i think series one edges it just um, and I think it's just that thing of series two trying to go a little bit further, a little bit bigger and better and falls down in a couple of areas. But let's face it, as a kind of a, a, a two series side by side, they're, they're both really good. Pretty flawless. Would you have liked to have seen more characters from series one come back for series two? No, I think, I think Michael is the right character to yeah. take from series one to series two. I think you've got Michael and Lynn and, and Lynn, the consistencies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I think they got. I think they got that just right. I think it would have felt very contrived if there was a way to kind of get the hotel staff in there or something. That would have felt quite cheesy. Yeah. The sort of thing they do on Friends or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, the whole gang's back together. And I guess they've, they've had to use a device f- to get Michael back that he's got an equivalent job where Alan goes. If you, that yeah. for, if you did that for a second hotel staff, it wouldn't feel yeah. realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the big question is, uh, what does everybody think is probably their favourite episode of this series? And I'm not sure, did we do this on Series 1? What was everybody's favourite episode of Series 1? Oh, we did. I think I planted my flag in the ground for... Yeah, it was the Valentine's Day episode. I think that was the best one. I think that's probably the best episode. Is that across the board Series 1, Valentine's Day episode? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, series two. I think there's going to be some disagreements here. I think it's tough because I think there are a lot of episodes that have a scene I'm not so keen on and a scene that I think is absolutely standout. I think, I, I think that is my issue with this series. There's always one moment in nearly every episode where I'm a bit like, not so keen on that. I, I'd go episode one in this series. I think that's, for me, comfortably the best. And I don't think it's got many... Talented Mr. Allen. Mm. Yeah. The chalk penis. Uh, going back to the old school. Alan looking fat in the video. Meteor videos. It's very Great. self-contained, isn't it? I think I would go for that, or possibly I know what Alan did last summer, the Inland Revenue Bono's House episode. Yeah. I'm, a, okay. I'm a big fan of that. Stab? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Never Say Alan again. I'm going with IMDb on this one. The fact that The Spy Who Loved Me, the Bond walkthrough, the whole episode is just brilliant. Nine and a half thousand pounds. I love you in a way. It's perfect. <laughs> I love it. it See, fantastic. yeah, for me, some great moments, but also some moments that I really don't like in that episode. I think my favourite one is probably episode two, The Colour of Alan. I think the Dante's fire bit, the foot on the spike. Uh, I do think his uh, whole speech at the award ceremony is one of my favourite partridge bits of scripts of all time. Uh, so that's enough to edge it for me. Yeah. So interestingly, have we all gone for a different episode? We have, yeah, yeah. We have. yeah. Well, I think different that tells you what you need to know. For different needs. Surprise, this week we have a special guest in the form of the creator of Love in the Key of Partridge, a Tumblr chronicling uh, one lady's adventures on Tinder where she only communicates with people in Alan Partridge quotes. We're going to cut over to Tom Dark now, who is speaking to the lady herself. Alan's Love Asylum. Thank you, Adam. So, yes, Tom Dark, not Stab, from Monkey Tennis here, and I am joined by our first ever live studio guest by the name of Hannah. Now, those of you that may be aware, there are quite a few Partridge-based uh, sites, so- social media accounts and blogs uh, around the world of Partridge, things such as Accidental Partridge, Political Partridge, and also a very hilarious blog called Love in the Key of Partridge, uh, which has been running for, I believe, a couple of years now. And Hannah, who joins us here, is the curator of said blog. Um, so, Hannah, for those people that don't know what Love in the Gear Partridge is, can you give us a bit of an explanation? Yeah, so um, it's basically a, a website, or blog even, uh, where I just respond to people or send messages using um, Alan Partridge quotes. So, just basically troll all the men of Tinder and OkCupid. Other dating Alan, websites are available. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so basically, dating app chat, which is everything you write is quotes from our beloved Alan. Yeah, everything I get from the watching it, um, my um, terribly made notes, and the internet scripts, which are a vital source. It needs to be perfect. Of course, word for word. And just to, and what is the blog address for those listening? Um, it's loveinthekeyofpartridge.tumblr.com. Cool. Uh, and I urge you all to check it out. It is bloody hilarious. Um, so... <laughs> Hannah, my first question is really, where did this idea come from? Who had this idea? Was it your idea? It was all, it was my idea. Uh, there are imitators, but they, are there? they stole it from me, just putting it out there. <laughs> um, and, um, I think I was just sat on the sofa one night, um, um, and just perusing the online dating world, thinking it was all very depressing. Um, but that if someone had sent me a message using an Alan Partridge quote, I would probably want to marry them immediately. Um, And so I thought maybe if I flipped it as a girl doing it, what kind of response would I get? And kind of 
asked a few friends what they thought and they were like, yes, you must do this. So started sending some messages and started getting some ridiculous responses back. <laughs> and uh, so the blog was born. And then, yeah. Okay. So, and you do this all under your own, your real profile. Yeah, it's not- it's- you don't have a picture of Alan or anything like that on it. <laughs> no, it's, no, no, it's Because that me. would lead to interesting chat, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely me. It's 100% me. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's my genuine profile. It's it's kind of one that I don't use so much to actually meet people anymore because uh, certain websites are just horrendous. So, right. just, you know. <laughs> um, so, how successful have you found it's been in terms of actually just getting chat response, first of all? Like, do, do most people reply when you're talking to them in Alan's words? Um, yeah, basically. Um, okay. it's, it's quite hard not to get a response from men on online dating <laughs> websites, to be honest. Um, and it kind of varies. Like if I open the question, open the chat myself, um, I usually get a response. Um, but if they're sending me the message first, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of prefer those ones. Um, do they give you something to work with? Do you then yeah, go and find an appropriate quote some, to come yeah, back exactly. with? exactly. There are some times um, when they say something and I'm like, right, well, there's something right there to um, to go with. So I think I just got one, actually. Oh, live and direct live, happening now. Live tindering um, where someone actually asked me uh, about uh, whether girls feel pressure to be perfectly hairless all the time. Um, which obviously there's an obvious quote coming there's up. There's an obvious. Yeah. Um, I have uh, gone with. I don't think we'll have hair. You see, I think we'll be completely hairless. And I think at the end of the day, <laughs> what will happen is we'll be more or less the same, but with bigger hands and eyes and sex organs. I'm hoping he comes with back something else so I can say, "Are you Harry Mary?" As well, <laughs> obviously. So. Yeah, so some of the chat, some of the chats just write themselves, basically. They, they really do. Obviously, the best way to experience a blog is by logging on and having a look because it's basically full of screen grabs of the conversations. Yeah. But uh, have you got any kind of favourite conversational examples that you could give us? I think some of my favourite ones, just for, for, from the beginning, because I wasn't expecting it to do very well at all, um, and then it, it kind of just took off completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like my favorite ones are definitely the ones where they start the conversation. So I, at the beginning, I kind of try to take it down a more sexual route straight away just to get ridiculous yeah. answers from them. And I'd start with like, let's take our tops off and have a cuddle, <laughs> you know, very kind of ones that you, um, expect to get. And they come back, come out with, I'm all for exchanging body heat, Hannah. Um, and then oh we're, we're just down to the final lather. Just relax. There's a foamy bit on your shoulder. Let's make it even more frothy with a squirt of light lemon liquid. Don't you feel good? And the response, I'm relaxed, eyes shut and in your hands. So yeah, I feel good. Froth it up and let's turn up the heat slowly in this bath, Missy. So what, so what we're learning here really is that men are basically idiots and will respond to anything. Did you get bored of kind of trying to use the same quotes over time? Have you found you've had to really extend your quotations into quite less than nine bits of partridge yeah i did um as anybody who has um, kind of read it from the beginning um probably knows that i take regular long breaks from doing it because i I can imagine it's a bit it's just horrendous um (laughs) after a while um especially when you're using quotes about kit kats and 
Looking two fingers up, uh, using four fingers. Uh, it just gets really, really, really gross very quickly. Um, so I have There's to. There's not much coming back from that, is there? No, it's no, really not. Um, so I do take a break, um, and I have expanded out into um, mid-morning matters, um, which okay. I find is is really great. It's just so conversational, and like all, all of it is, and there's yeah. just. Yeah. The question, the opening questions that he does in, in the studio are, are great openers for ah, yeah. online so dating as well. Do you often use some of his phone in, some of his yeah. phone in subjects as conversation openers? So I've been trying. Who's the best lord? Yes, I have done that one. Um, and I can't, I think I wrote that one down. I'll have a look. I'll see if I can find that one. Um, um, I'm trying to be using the fact of the day. So I was trying to go out Excellent. with crab sticks yep. earlier. Um, and I have also used that there are no Dutch elms left in Britain. Disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the ones here is, uh, somebody I just opened with, what's your idea of a great night out? And, uh, I responded, I'd like to go around Legoland with Sean Connery. And then <laughs> afterwards we'll go for a lovely lamb lunch in the center of Windsor. He said, Oh, Oh, who wouldn't? That's one sexy dude. You sure he'd be into Legoland, though? I said, I don't agree. He'd go to Legoland. Bye. (laughs) Has anybody ever kind of figured it out and kind of gone, I know what you're doing? Like, I know what you're quoting? Um, No. Actually, no. One guy did, and I went out for a drink with him. Fair enough. So, So, yeah. But that was, I guess that was the point of the whole exercise, right? (laughs) Well, it wasn't really, but um, it did take him quite a long time, and it got until... Um, cause he was called, oh gosh, not Michael. Um, what's the name? We can call him Michael for the sake of. No, you know, the, you know, the guy, uh, the, um, the guy who works in the Linton Travel Tavern who, uh, Ben. Ben. So yes, Ben, if he's listening, had a great drink. Um, <laughs> um but I was looking for someone called Ben so that I could say Ben. Uh, <laughs> Very specific, very specific yeah. dating searches yeah, on name alone. I, yeah. I, I'm also trying to find a Michael so that I can do a few Michael quotes with. with um, <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's only Alan quotes. You're not quoting other characters from. No, I quote sort of... other characters as well. Oh, okay. I think okay. it just adds to the variety. So it's, it it's not just Alan. I guess yeah. technically, it's just um, quotes from Alan Partridge. So yeah, how, do you have a standout moment? Like, if people were to go onto the blog, and if there was one to look at in particular. Is there a particular screen grab of a conversation you'd want? You'd say people should start with. Oh, um, well, obviously I love the Dan one, um, where I just said Dan <laughs> uh, about fifteen, sixteen times, and he just was like Hannah, <laughs> Hannah, what the hell's going on? Um, and then I just left it like that. Yeah, which I think is fair enough. Um, and also, I quite enjoy the one where I branched out into um, some quotes from a Guardian kind of interview that. Partridge oh, he did in character. Yeah. In character, where he was talking about Brian Adams, and um, someone actually um, invited me to a Brian Adams gig at the O2. And Result. So <laughs> would go, would attend. I just uh, I just used all the quotes from that, talking about how uh, Brian Adams' uh, gravelly voice had. I had been trying to replicate it in karaoke, and I'd been <laughs> repeatedly sick. Um, and he um, gave me his number. And uh, he was trying to get me to go out with him, told me I had nothing interesting to do that evening and I should go and meet him in o- at the O2. And I um, ended it with, uh, meet, meet me in the car park in half an hour. <laughs> at that point, he gave me his number. So. 
So there, there you go. That's what you need to do, ladies. Just tell a guy you've been sick trying to impersonate Brian Adams and you'll get a guy's number. Uh, which says more about males, doesn't it? So yeah, I would, I really would urge everyone listening to go and check out the blog because it is brilliant. And it's also actually quite unbelievable when you read these things and think these are genuine conversations. Everybody there is taking it at face value. It, which means there just aren't enough Partridge fans on Tinder. That also tells you. Yeah, and that's quite depressing as well. Cause, it is. You know, uh, Partridge fans are the best people. Bleak times for Partridge fans. Okay, so Hannah, if people want to keep up to date with how your Partridge tindering is going, where where will they find you? Just as a bit of a reminder before we wrap up. So um, there's obviously the blog, so lovingthekeapartridge.tumblr.com and there's also a Twitter account, which is in the Kia Partridge and, and the kind of Twitter handle is at L-I-T-K-O Partridge. L-I-T-K-O Partridge. A bit of a mouthful. There we go. Well, what we'll do, we will post up on the Monkey Tennis accounts. We'll post up to your accounts and the blog address up there as well. So, again, to find Monkey Tennis uh, on Twitter, we are at The Partridge Pod. And Monkey Tennis on Facebook is facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod. Hannah, we'll let you get back to your uh, tindering. Other dating apps are available. And uh, I'll hand back over to Adam in the studio. Thanks. Adam, take it away. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Okay, it's time for the last game of cards against Delanity. Uh, Tom Dark has won the series, so Jeopardy is at a low. We're but playing for pride here, we're people. Playing for pride. Um, so. Also, we have no choices, yeah. so it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> yeah. everybody, has, everybody has one card remaining to hand into Jed. In they go. It completes this sentence. You take the lid off the gear knob and find a blank. So he's just sifting through those. Oh, mine works. It's not funny, Your but it works. Yeah, the one he likes best. I, I just handed mine over. I didn't even look. It doesn't matter. I guess the jeopardy here is it's Tom Stab's last chance to get on this. Come on! That is the jeopardy. Yep. Okay. So you take the lid off the gear knob and find a human JCB. You take the lid off the gear knob to find eight grand a year. You take a lid off the gear knob and find a mug with my face on one side and a cat on the other. I need yes! to go for that. It's Tom Dark again. <laughs> In your face, Stab. 
And finally, you take the lid off the gear knob to find a wet Christmas. So... <laughs> That was my one. Uh, the final scores yeah. for this series of Cards Against Alanity. Tom Dark has four. Tom Stab has none. Nick and myself have one. So Tom Dark is this series winner. Sorry, what did Stab have again? Zero. Okay. Shall I eat a tablespoon of mustard? So Nick I mean, series you, one. Would, would you like to eat a tablespoon of mustard? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Um, well, that's it for Cards Against Alanity and for this series of Monkey Tennis. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Uh, obviously, it's the end of I'm Alan Partridge, but there's so much more in the Partridge canon. I Partridge, Alpha Papa, Knowing Me, Knowing You, and all of that. So we will be back before too long. Uh, well, you can catch up with us on Twitter at the Partridge Pod, uh, Facebook.com slash the Partridge Pod, and the Partridge Pod at gmail.com. If you want to catch any of us individually, I don't know why you would, it's at Adam Nonfiction, at Nick Alder, A L D E R, at Tom Stab, with Stab with two B's, and at Tom Dark or our producer is at Jed Shepard from all of us thanks so much for listening we'll be back with you soon Uh, have a great life bye bye Bye. Elin Monkey Tennis is a post-pop podcast produced by Jed Shepard the artwork's by Dave McNamara and the theme is an excerpt of the Black Beauty theme Galloping Home by Dennis King to find out more about the records and podcasts made by post-pop head to postpoprecords.com Monkey tennis. Damn! Monkey tennis. Little fierce, my foot of his thigh. Monkey tennis. Go to London, I guarantee you'll either be mugged or not appreciated. Monkey tennis. Damn! Monkey tennis. Uh, on the whole, a very good effort. Seven on ten. It's hotter than the sun. Back of the net. Monkey tennis. Yeah. Golly. So that's the end of series two of Monkey Tennis. We just want to say one final thank you to everyone that subscribed, listened, rated, reviewed the podcast. We really appreciate it. We also want to say thank you to everyone that sent in messages through social media. They've been broadly speaking good so please do keep them coming. We love hearing your thoughts on the show, on Alan and on the other characters. So just time to say that we will be back with our Alpha Papa special. Uh, part one will go out on Christmas Day and uh, part two goes out on Boxing Day. So that's it. Thank you, staff, and goodbye. Uh, I'll leave you with a final aha. No, I'm joking. I won't do that. Okay. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.